Welcome to FedSpeak, Jackson Hole Edition, brought to you by MNI Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast the President of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, Patrick Harker. President Harker has been leading the Philly Fed since 2015 and was a voting member of the Federal Open Market Committee for most of this year. Mr. Harker was previously President of the University of Delaware and is an engineer by training, so unlike other Fed members, he's actually got a number of patents to his name. Welcome to FedSpeak, President Harker. Uh, thanks very much, Pedro. Thanks for having me. So let's start with what you're expecting from this year's conference. We're here in Jackson Hole, and the theme is reassessing constraints on the economy and policy. I wonder how you're thinking about that theme in the context of the inflation problem that the FOMC has already declared as enemy number one. Yeah, it is enemy number one, very clearly. And the constraints that we face, we have to recognize that the supply chain constraints, for example, really limit our ability to bring inflation down in some ways, but in other ways we can control demand, and that's what monetary policy does. So one of the things I'd like to hear is how those two interact, right? and, and we're seeing that in, in real, real time right now, uh, these two interact, and how much monetary policy can do uh, to reduce inflation given those constraints. Now, more broadly, I wonder how you read the economic data, both on jobs and inflation, since the July meeting. Markets took quite a bit of comfort in the softer-than-expected July CPI, and uh, financial conditions kind of eased a little bit after that. I wonder how you're thinking about things since then. So I think there were glimmers of hope when, with inflation, but let me emphasize glimmers. We still have a long way to go to get inflation under control. And so... I hope that we start to see continued decreases, not just in the core, but also in the distribution. That is, how many goods and services are we seeing excess, say, above 5% inflation? As we start to bring that number down, you feel better and better. We'll see how the data evolve over the next uh, two months, three months, four months. Now, does the easing of financial conditions that I mentioned, I know some of it has been reversed, but does that make your job harder or make you have to potentially tighten more over the long run? I don't think so right now. I, I think that, that we are tight in terms of labor, uh, in terms of uh, financial conditions. We're seeing that in particular with the housing market right now. So we need to continue to raise rates. Let's be clear. We are going to continue to raise rates to a restrictive stance, and we will get there by the end of the year, in my view. Uh, and then we let that play out, and we let to see how the economy evolves from there. Fair enough. Now, I wonder, looking at the energy and commodity spectrum in particular, I wonder how meaningful that decline is for you in terms of how it affects your monetary policymaking, which in the past has tended to look through these things both on the way up and on the way down. So I think we need to continue to look through a lot of that. It's very volatile. Some of it is due to this tragic war in Ukraine and other global issues. I'm really focused on, again, the core and also the distribution of uh, the changes in inflation over the goods and services in the economy. So in that, in that context, how persistent do you think underlying inflation pressures are likely to be? How sticky are there? And do you have a, a standing forecast for where PC is likely to end the year? Yeah, so I think we're going to end with a headline around five and a half and core above three and a half, say. Uh, next year, it's going to come down not right down to 2%. It's going to be another 3.5% year, in our view, both in terms of headline and core, before we drift back down to 2%. This is going to take some time. And what are the most worrisome sources of inflation, in your view? Is it wages? Is it housing, which has sort of 
lingering into into the future because of owner's equivalent rent? Is it food? So you start with the people who are most impacted by inflation, low, moderate-income people. Housing, food, gasoline prices, those things are front and center in their minds. And they should be because they're really struggling uh, with these issues. So those are the ones I'm most worried about. And would you say that inflation expectations are still well anchored? We've seen a lot of volatility in expectations themselves, both on the consumer side and in in terms of the market readings. Uh, Is the anchor starting to get wobbly in any way? Not yet, I don't think. But we have to take action to make sure that doesn't happen, that they stay well anchored. And I think we're doing that at the Fed. So... How high a terminal rate do you envision for for the Fed funds rate, given current conditions? Yeah, it's hard for me to put a specific number on it. Again, what I'd like to see is us get to a clearly restrictive stance by the end of the year, say north of 3.4, which was the median in the last SEP, and then maybe continue to increase depending on the data or just sit there for a while. Because again, we talk about long and variable lags, we need to let some of this work through the economy. And do you have a preference for September? I know that's kind of the markets are very, you know, short. They like to look ahead, but they're very short-term focused deep down. And do you have a preference for 50 or 75 at this point? Not at this point. I want to see how the data evolve. But I do want to emphasize that we often think now because of the 75s that a 50 is not impactful. Well, let's look at the data. Since 1983, we've had 86 instances of raising the Fed funds rate. 75 of those were less than 50 basis points. A 50 basis point move is still a, a very substantial move. You guys have raised the bar on, on rate hike aggressiveness. Uh, taking a step back, how, do you, how are you thinking about neutral rates? Are we at neutral now? And how restrictive do you think policy needs yeah. to be? So again, those estimates vary all over the map. <laughs> and so I think that uh, we are probably in the long run or medium term neutral right now at, at two and a half. But because of where inflation is, we have to rise above that. So investors are thinking that the Fed is likely to start cutting rates not very long after it's done raising them. I wonder if markets are getting ahead of themselves. Yeah, I don't, at this point, I don't see that. Again, I'd like to, us to get up to the restrictive stance and then sit there for a while before we consider uh, cutting rates. I, we need to let this work through. Do you have a sense of what that while might be? Jan Hatzius from Goldman Sachs mentioned potentially two years. Is that too long a time frame? Yeah, it's hard to predict right now, and I wouldn't put a number on it. I guess if you're data dependent for the next meeting, it's hard to look two years out, right? Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of concern recently about the risk of recession here, but also about the risk of spillovers from what's happening in Europe, where the news really does seem to be getting quite quite a bit worse. I wonder if, are we too domestically focused, and are you concerned that a European recession could come hit us over here? It could impact the U.S., for sure, through various channels, and clearly it's something we have to watch. But it's not just Europe. I mean, we're seeing continued issues in China, particularly with respect to climate issues that we're all facing. Same in Europe. So it's not just the war. There's a lot of risks right now globally that will impact the U.S. that we have to take into account. And, of course, one of the strengths of the regional Fed system is that you guys are always out there talking to people. So I wonder what you're hearing from your contacts about both on the supply chain side, the labor shortages. Those had been the main complaints from folks in I wonder how much those still linger or whether they're starting to abate. 
Yeah, so we, you're right. We talk to a lot of contacts all the time. On the supply chain issues, they are easing, but sporadically. There are some things that are easing, some things that are getting a little tighter. Somebody just told me recently that they sell into the remodeling industry. You can get kitchen cabinets, you can't get a sink. And so these things keep changing. Uh, in terms of the uh, labor constraints, that remains tight. But remember, some, some things were tight before the pandemic even hit. We were short of nurses. We're desperately short of nurses right now uh, and other professions. So that continues to be a problem. But it, that's a long-term, I think, structural problem. It's not just a short-term issue for the U.S. Maybe another way to ask the, the recession question or the expectation of, of recession is the, the Phillips curve was thought to be dead at one point, but it seems to be alive and well at the moment. And I wonder how how much of a rise in unemployment do you expect to be needed for the Fed to actually be able to bring the inflation rate back down to target? Again, a hard number to pinpoint exactly because we, this is an, a very unusual period of time. Just look at the number of openings we still have in the U.S. economy and how tight labor markets are. So I think historical precedent doesn't always hold here. And so I, it's hard to put an exact number on it. It will rise, but I don't see it rising to where some people have said, say, 5%. That's po- always possible, but I don't think it's probable at this point. And I was wondering, we don't talk about QT a lot, and the Fed has, has pitched it as something that should be like watching paint dry. Uh, I wonder if what risk of financial stability you see out there, whether it's from QT or just from the tightening process itself, from the, from the fact that there's actually a global tightening process at hand? Yeah, right now, I, I think those risks are relatively minimal. Something to keep watching, but we went into this with a very strong banking sector, lots of liquidity. And so I think we can uh, ride this out with very minimal risk to the system. Maybe one last question on housing, because while financial conditions loosened in other areas, uh, housing is maybe the place where it's been, you know, where the tightness was felt most acutely and most quickly after, even before you started raising rates, just on the expectation of rate hikes. How do you expect the housing sector to perform? Is the housing sector in recession? And do you expect a national decline in home prices? So right now, it has slowed down pretty significantly. Our contacts have told us uh, some stories of just completely stopping certain uh, development. That said, we are still short of a lot of housing in America. Again, I think you need to put this in a broader context. Before the pandemic hit, we didn't have enough housing for the growing population of America. We still have that problem. So whether prices decrease or not, I think that's going to vary market by market throughout the U.S. I don't think there's going to be a uniform answer to that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was President Patrick Harker of the Philadelphia Fed. Thank you so much for joining FedSpeak. Thanks, Pedro.